friends. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, let's turn over to Luke chapter 2. It's going to feel like uh, the, the New Testament climax of what we've been studying in the Old Testament, uh, because what we've been studying in I, Isaiah has been these, these statements that, that God is strong and that, that he has made a promise and that he was going to come and save the whole world. And now what we're going to see here in Luke chapter 2 is that uh, the author, Luke, does not miss the opportunity to point out that God has now accomplished exactly what the prophet Isaiah said he would accomplish. It's, it's, prof- it's amazing to see how tuned in to Isaiah Luke is. And if you've been with us these last several weeks, uh, you've probably been tuned in to Isaiah as well and so thankful that we can now see Luke's uh, conclusion. So Luke 2, I'm going to start reading at verse 22, and we're going to read down through the end of Simeon's song. If we had four songs of Isaiah in December, in those Sundays, we kind of called it the song of Isaiah. Now we've got one concluding song from Simeon, and there's actually going to be an implied song from Anna. We're going to look at that one too, okay? So Luke, 20, Luke 2, start at verse 22. Here we go. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there wasn't a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law... He took him up in his arms and blessed him and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Simeon blessed him blessed them, and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Father, would you help us understand your word? story of the birth of Jesus is incredible because of who you are. You are Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Billions of babies have been born. None like Jesus. The story is mingled in the human history, human history 
with pain, loss, loss of life, grief. But Father, we do not want to be the kind of people here who now come to and through the Christmas season and say, well, we were near, we were around Jesus-y people. We have some new Jesus-y customs. We went on New Year, Christmas Eve to sing songs. We, we sang songs that spoke about the identity of Jesus. But Lord, at the end of the day, the most important thing about Christmas is whether or not we behold Jesus. Whether or not we actually see him for who he is. And I'm praying for help for my eyes and my heart. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just come through Christmas, and I've already this morning, you know, asked a couple of people, how was it? How was it? How was Christmas? And so uh, this may be the natural thing we talk about for the next few days. Maybe some of you are far more mature than I am, but that's where I start conversations sometimes. And we, uh, we can easily fall back and say, well, you know, this Christmas, you know, based on my past, this was, a, this was like the fourth best Christmas. It was, it was in there. It was okay. It was pretty good. And we might uh, define the, the Christmas on a, a million, million criteria. It might be about the gifts you gave or the gifts you received. It might be about the people that were gathered. It might be about the amount of fights you had or didn't have. There's a, a lot of ways to define whether or not your Christmas was successful. We might fall into another uh, bit of a trap, and that's not to say uh, how this Christmas ranked in our history, but to look around us and uh, our, our friends and to uh, kind of read into their perceived Christmas. Well, their Christmas had everybody gathered together. We do things one way, they did it another way. They had the opportunity. The travel was such that they were together. They have the grandson or the granddaughter. They have the children. They're still married. We can go down the list of all the things that are a, a blessing to the people around us. And if we're not careful, we could still do this comparison thing. Comparing this Christmas with a previous Christmas or this Christmas with somebody else's Christmas. But uh, Luke has a friend. And he's like, well, here's the one thing I don't want you to do, Theophilus. And if you look back and you want to see why I say that this is all about Theophilus, Luke chapter 1, verse oh, 3 um, Luke is writing a letter to his friend Theophilus. And all through chapter 1, in Luke chapter 1, he's been saying, well, now look at the, these births. These births are incredible. There's John the Baptist and there's Jesus. They are both attended to by angels and prophecies and crazy miraculous births. Remember, John the Baptist was born to somebody who was way too old to have a baby, Elizabeth. And Jesus is born to somebody who's never been with someone and is a virgin, way too young to have a baby, Mary. And so there's these miraculous births surrounding John the Baptist and Jesus. But Luke chapter 2, in essence, what uh, Luke is doing is saying, Theophilus, here's the thing. I don't want you to miss the preeminence of Jesus over John the Baptist. And so in Luke chapter 2, he hammers home the importance of Jesus Christ. And who he is and why he is 
the servant of the Lord and how we can recognize him. In essence, what he's saying is, Theophilus, you're this wealthy Gentile. You could easily look at your own ability to to provide for yourself and come near all the religious trappings of the church and you could just be content with the fact that you had some kind of religious experience. You've got a new religious tradition in your life. You're near Jesus. And Luke is saying, oh man, Theophilus, here's my heart's breaking for you. Don't be content with being near Jesus. Don't uh, esteem this Christmas as pretty good because of what you got in your presence or because of the songs you sang or because of the beauty of the Christmas Eve service, which was beautiful. Don't be content with that. Be careful, Theophilus. Jesus is so much more than a religious tradition. And so that's where we're going here. He's saying, look, there's a, there's a difficulty in this world, and all of our hearts need to be comforted. The title I, I, I went with today is to let your heart be comforted only by Jesus. The reason that I chose the word comforted is, and we're going to get to it in just a minute, is that Simeon has been waiting for the consolation of Israel. Uh, that's found, we'll see when we get there in just a minute, okay? But basically down in verse 25. So the title here is Consolation. Comfort comes from Christ alone. If you're like me, you comfort your heart a little bit with a billion things. There's a hobby that you have or a comfort that you prefer or a pastime that you indulge in. Not anything wrong with that. You you see in the sermon uh, insert today, we talk about bucket lists. Nothing wrong with wanting to travel or see some great place in the world. But the reality is, you know it as well as I, that going to the place or having the bucket list and even checking the item off the bucket list can never console your heart. It won't be enough to bring you comfort. And that's where Luke is so focused today, where he's like, Theophilus, it's, it's got to be Jesus. It's got to be Jesus that is the comforter of your heart. And so we're starting right there, before we even jump in today. Is, is that what's been true of your Christmas season to this point? It was made significant, not by gifts, although we all give gifts, and it's not by, made significant by the people you were gathered with, although we all gather. It was made significant by this one reality. Do you recognize the preeminence of Jesus? Do you see him? Summer before, when we were worshiping, used the word behold. Have you stopped and beheld the greatness of Jesus? That's what this passage is really all about. Verse 22, and by the way, let your heart be comforted only by Jesus because he's fulfilled all of God's promises. He is the fulfillment of all of God's promises, and he did this according to the law of the Lord. Verse 22, and when uh, the time came for purification, for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The time had come. Just so you know, there's there's this eight-day thing that happened. That's verse uh, 21. We didn't look at that today. After eight days, they circumcised Jesus, and they named him. And now this time of purification is 33 days later. 
And what happens is after a, a woman would give birth, after 40 days, she would come to the temple and they would make a sacrifice and then she would return to, to uh, full temple participation. And it's not that she was somehow uh, lesser than or dirty. It was a picture, a picture that, after, that, that we needed after 40 days to, uh, to be made right uh, before the Lord. The picture is that we know that babies are sinful and, and that uh, we need, to, we need a, uh, uh, to be made right before the Lord. And we understand that children, when they come into this Lord, to, to this world, are sinful. Now, Jesus, of course, was not sinful, but nonetheless, according to Galatians 4.4, he was born under the law. And you note that God is sovereign over Bethlehem, and God is sovereign over his choice of Mary, and God is sovereign over his choice of Joseph. But note how God uses human responsibility in life. That is righteousness. That uh, Mary and Joseph choose to come to Jerusalem because they're under the law. And because they want to present the baby Jesus. We're going to see one day that Jesus accomplishes the law on your behalf. If we look back and we see the Garden of Eden, we see that Adam and Eve blew it. They sinned. And one of the reasons Jesus came is to fulfill the law perfectly. To be the second Adam who is righteous in God's sight on your behalf. Because we need a human to keep the law. There isn't one. And so here we see that God is using law-keeping and human responsibility in the life of Joseph and Mary to get Jesus to Jerusalem. By the way, the whole point of this little passage we're looking at, it's all about Jerusalem. Look at verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem. Look at verse uh, 38. Verse 38, coming at the very hour, Anna began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So this passage begins with Jerusalem. It ends with Jerusalem. And that's how we know the concept of this passage. It's all about the placement. It's all about the city of Jerusalem. Here we have Jesus unexpectedly if, if you don't know your Micah 5.2 history, that it was prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem. If you don't know that, it would be pretty unexpected that the king of kings would be born in this five miles south of Jerusalem kind of little burg. So here would have been the question, how are we going to get the king to Jerusalem? Well, Luke is answering that question right here. Here's how we're going to get him to Jerusalem. We're going to, we're going to uh, keep the law. Jo Joseph and Mary are going to keep the law in his behalf as it is written in the law of the lord every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the lord you see that in verse 23 here's what would happen the firstborn males of the levites would all be brought to the temple in jerusalem and they would be presented as priests here you go here's a priest right and we have pictures of that in the old testament samuel would be an example of that he is brought for temple service and so the other 11 tribes who were not Levi, they all brought their firstborn sons to the temple too. But not to dedicate them to be priests, they couldn't be priests. Instead, to dedicate them to the Lord and say, Lord, this is your child. 
do with this child's life what you will. And then they would also bring a five-shekel gift as a statement like, hey, this kid's not going to be a priest, but here's five shekels in lieu of priesthood. And so that would help the, the temple uh, pay some of their bills, of course. So you see, the concept there is, is that uh, Jesus, having been born of the tribe of Judah, is brought to be presented and to, to be dedicated at the temple. Verse 24, and offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Now, that is a poor person's sacrifice. If they had been wealthy enough, they would have presented a spotless lamb. I'm telling you, man, this, this week, studying this passage uh, three, four times, just like overwhelmed in my own heart with how significant this passage is. I'm so thankful Gary chose this passage as the pinnacle, as the, the exclamation point in our study in Isaiah. One of the reasons is this verse. Here Mary is carrying the Lamb of God in her hands. She's got him. She's protecting him. She's bringing him to the temple. And they offered not a lamb. They offered the turtle doves. And you think about why that might be. Could be because, number one, they were traveling and kind of running low on money. They'd been in Nazareth, and, or excuse me, they'd been in Bethlehem. Now they had a baby. Now they got to stay longer. Uh, they're running out of cash. And it could be that that's the simple answer to why turtle doves, why the poor person's sacrifice. But it also gives us a clue, doesn't it? They for sure hadn't seen the wise men yet. You know, the Magi didn't come on day, by day 40. And one of the reasons we know is because they didn't give a lamb. If they had had gold and frankincense and myrrh, probably would have given the sacrifice of a lamb. But no, they gave the sacrifice of the turtle doves and two young pigeons. And by the way, the difference there, turtle doves and young pigeons, they were in season. So depending on the season, you'd give one or the other if some had kind of uh, been, um, had, had flown away and migrated or the other one had just been born. So verse 25. So, so here, here let, let's just re recap this before we move on. God uses his promises to set our level of expectation for what Christmas and what, what our lives should, should be all about. And then he uses the law, that is righteousness, before the Lord as a means of moving people to various places. And so here, Mary and Joseph have been moved into Jerusalem just at the time when Simeon was there. And so let your heart be comforted by this. God is at work. And he's using his law, and he will always keep his every promise. Second concept we see today, let your heart be comforted only by Jesus, uh, because he alone has fulfilled God's promises. And actually, before we move on, let me just, let me just kind of put a, a little bow on that point. I guess my question this morning for you and for me is this, do you, do you see him? Do you see that he's just not one of billions of babies born? Do you see that he's the unique one? Do you see that God acted in time to bring about the fulfillment of all of his promises so that sinners could be reconciled to him? Do you see that if Jesus is the promised one from God, there can be no other one who's promised from God? 
And when you enter into conversations with your friends at Christmas time and they say, you're so into this Jesus person. You're so full of uh, re- this religious like affections for Jesus. What about all of the other wonderful religions in the world? Do you really think you're right and they're all wrong? And we turn to this passage and say, no, I don't think I'm right because I'm right. I don't think highly of myself. I just can't doubt what God has said about his servant, Jesus. And if Jesus is the one that meets the promises of the Old Testament, if he is the one that was born in Bethlehem, if he is the one that was born of a virgin, if he is the one who fled to Egypt, if he is the one who fulfilled all of God's promises, then it only stands to reason there can never be another one. I can stop looking because he's the one, not because I'm full of myself, but because I believe God. You have conversations like that with your friends? Guys, it's not about you being right. It's not about you arguing well. It's not about you being immovable in your opinion. It's about you beholding the glory of God in Jesus. Well, uh, let your heart be comforted only by Jesus, secondly, because he alone has brought salvation to the nations. The first Noel was all about God keeping his promises. And lest we would have had Theophilus miss it, Luke underscores it time and time again. Let's just pick it up and let it uh, flow out of these verses. Verse uh, 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Everything we know about Simeon is found in these verses. It really isn't that much. Was he old? We don't know if he was old. He talks like he was old, saying things like, I've been waiting. I I was terrible at waiting when I was young. Terrible at waiting now, too, but that's another story. But when I was young and I was 14, to get to the age of 16 when I could drive the car seemed like an eternity seemed like it was going to just go on forever and ever. When will the day finally come? And then the next thing on the the agenda, whether it was uh, meeting someone, which thankfully I I met someone young, and and then but getting married and and moving on and the next steps of life and all of these things, right? And by the way, if you're saying, oh yeah, okay, talking about marriage and being young and fulfilled, don't worry. There's something in this passage for you, my friend, if you are still waiting. And I'm still waiting. My point is, as we get older and older, we realize most of life is about waiting. It's about waiting for God to work. It's about waiting for God to come to to make his promises something we can see. It's about waiting for God to answer prayers. It's about waiting. And Simeon talks about waiting. Look at verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this was a righteous man. That is, like Abraham, he had faith in the Messiah that God was going to send. He was was, uh, uh, called righteous by God because of his faith. Simeon was righteous. And he was devout. That is, he had a a devotion to God. He was serious about pleasing the Lord. 
Man, when you see, when you behold Jesus, you become serious about pleasing him. Even if you're waiting. Even when there's not answers. Even when you're not completely fulfilled in your life. But look what he was waiting for, verse 25. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, that's an Old Testament phrase which means the Messiah. So he was waiting for the one who would come. The Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that he would be alive when the, when the, uh, the Lord's Christ came to this world. Look at verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he waited day by day to the temple. Now, we don't know if he was a priest. And we, again, we don't know how old he was. It seems like he was a priest who was really, really old. But when I read this again, I realized that's me reading in. What we have for sure is that Simeon's a guy who had a promise. He might have been just a, a layman, which is fantastic. He was a guy who was, who was righteous and devout, and he was on it. And he was coming to the temple day after day to see whether that would be the day or not. Verse 27, he came in the spirit to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, we've already made that point, Following after Jesus Christ with your whole heart will put you in positions where God will work in special ways in your life. And that's where Joseph and Mary were. And that's where Simeon was. Verse 28. He took him up in his arms. And he blessed God. Can you imagine this moment for Simeon? Holding a baby. Let's say he was an old guy. He had finally, his, his eyes finally saw the fruit of the promise. Guys, there are very few of us who, who feel like we have the emotional reality of finally seeing the fruit of the promise. But I'm telling you, this Christmas season, if you have seen the Messiah from God, the servant of the Lord, the Lord's Christ, clearly... And you know that it's Jesus and there can be no other. And your search is over and you are content with him. And there's a, a sense in which you hold him in your arms and you are just as blessed as Simeon ever was. But here he was. He gathers the child in his hands and look at verse 29. Lord, now. Now, I'm not going to get into the Latin pronunciation, but I'll just tell you that this song of Simeon's it's called the Lord Now song. Oh, I've been waiting. I've been waiting. I've been waiting. Lord, now you've kept your promise. And I see, I see it with my own eyes. And if you are here today and Christmas for you has been about waiting, can I tell you what I know for certain is that the, you have seen the Messiah. You know the identity that Jesus is the King. I don't know when the Lord now moment is coming in your life, but I guarantee it's coming. There's going to be a moment 
a Lord now moment when your eyes see him keeping his promises and the reality of of who he says he is. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. He said, well, this was the only thing on my bucket list. I, I didn't have a lot of things I wanted to accomplish. There wasn't skiing for Simeon. He didn't just define his Christmas like Hallmark movies. He wasn't going kissing girls with the perfect snow coming down. That wasn't Simeon's thing. He wasn't rethinking his life in Jerusalem, the big city, the evil big city, looking for the small town of Bethlehem and taking up the hammer of Joseph's carpentry shop. That wasn't what he was going to be about. Here's the only thing on his bucket list. Now I can die in peace according to your word because your promise to me has come, come true. I've seen the Messiah. Look at verse 30. My eyes have seen your salvation. Now, can I just tell you what's going on here? Not only has the law of the Lord gotten Jesus to Jerusalem and to the temple, now we have the first of two testimonies. The Old Testament said that the testimony of one person is not valid, but the testimony of two people can convict And if you have a legal mind in here and you understand what's happening here, here's what it is. is, This is the first testifier. What will be the first testimony spoken about Jesus in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem? What is he going to say about him? Is he going to say, well, he's going to be the king of the Jews. And the Jews will finally be uh, vindicated. And we'll finally have somebody who will speak our language and uh, politically free us and overthrow Rome and bring us to a great golden age of of enjoyment. That's, That's what we long for. And that's what you might have expected Simeon to say. The first word spoken about Jesus in the temple from this testimony was not at all like that. Look at at verse 27. Excuse me, look at verse 29. Here's what he's saying. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Verse 31, that you prepared in the presence of all peoples. Luke has done his homework. It is now 60 years after the birth of Jesus, and he's writing a history book. Do you guys know what took place 60 years ago? Want to know for, we want you to know that when Jesus was first brought into the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, here's what was said about him. And it was said publicly in the temple. People could hear Simeon as they walked past. This moment was a moment where Jesus is publicly identified as the Messiah in Jerusalem for all to see. You prepared this in the presence of all the peoples. Now look what he says in verse 32. Here's the most shocking thing you'll see in the passage. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon, you're probably not a priest because that's not what a priest, at least a priest who was focused on Jerusalem and Judaism. That's not what he would have said. He would have said something as we talked about earlier, something about the greatness and, and glory of Israel itself. We'll get to that in just a minute. The first thing he says, though, is that Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles, to the Gentiles. You say, well, that's not new. We've been studying that, and we have. Do you know that that, that reference that we uh, look at right there, uh, that, that he is a light of uh, 
uh, revelation to the Gentiles. It indicates that the whole world was in darkness and it indicates that the whole world was waiting and it indicated that Jesus himself was the one who, who would be the bringer of the light. And if we look back, as, Jesus, as Simeon takes this baby in his hands, he doesn't say, God, why did you wait so long? God, was, God uh, I have a lot of questions for you. God, if this would have taken place sooner, better things could have happened for me. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation in the presence of all the people. And this is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. On November 29th, we studied Isaiah 42, verse 6. You remember what it says. That the Messiah to come would be a light for the nations. Then on December 6th, we studied Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 6. And by the way, if you have footnotes in your scriptures, all of these passages are, are footnoted there for you to go read later. The point being that we studied them at, at, at length earlier this month, and they all come to, to bear on Luke chapter 2, verse 31. December 6th, we studied Isaiah 49, 6, and that's where the scriptures say that this servant, this Messiah, would, would be my salvation, and that his salvation would reach to the ends of the earth. And then last week, December 20th, we studied Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 10. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And can I tell you what Christmas is at its heart? It's a missionary holiday. It's a statement that the church needs to remain focused on the goal throughout every age to reach to the ends of the earth. Because Jesus did not come for a small group of people, the Jews. He came through the Jews, and that, verse 32 says, is a glory to them. He came through Judah. He came through a promise made to Abraham. He came through God keeping promise after promise to the Jewish people. But he came for the world. That's not a new concept. And sometimes I think we get stuck and think the Old Testament was about the Jews. That didn't work out. The New Testament is about more grace for the world. But the reality is, from the very beginning, God's plan was always to reach the whole world. The Gentiles are, the nations are integral to the plan. We could look back and Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, where God makes a promise to Abraham, and, and, and at the end of that first promise is, and you will, and all the families of the earth will be blessed in you. And it's like Luke saying, that's what he's been talking about from the beginning. You've got to tell the whole world. Hey, uh, Christmas is a great time to write the note to your missionary friend. Christmas is a fantastic time to send the extra gift, financial gift, to your missionary friend. And just as importantly, Christmas is a great time for you to be a light to your neighbor, to the person you work with, to live out these truths and to see that, man, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Do you see what Simeon's doing while he's waiting? He's serving. He's coming to the temple. He's expectant. It's going to come. He's not doubting. He's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Well, 
Simeon goes on and he warns Mary in particular, this isn't going to be easy. It's going to happen. The light's going to go to the Gentiles. It's going to be hard for you. His father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon uh, blessed them and said to his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising. (laughs) I would have thought he would have said for the rising and falls. Let's just be positive first, right? But here's the point. Jesus is the only one, and this is going to trip many people up. They're not going to be able to get their brain wrapped around that. They're going to look for another way. Wealthy people like Theophilus would try to buy their way in. Uh, uh, Influential people will try to change the truth. They don't like having to submit to Jesus. And so Jesus will make many fall and many rise in Israel. And then we get to verse 36. In verse 36, if we have seen testimony number one is Simeon and he has been faithful, we see testimony number two in the temple had to come. It's Anna. And I wish we had a long, long time. In fact, let me just say this. If you want more on Anna, I would love for you to write down, revive our hearts on your podcast or excuse me, on your paper, and go check the podcast later this week, because there's like a four or five part series on Anna that was taught by uh, Nancy Lee DeMoss this week, and I listened to several of those parts, and you'll be very blessed by it. But let's take a look at Anna Anna real quick, verse 36. And by the way, this third point is this, let your heart be comforted only by Jesus, because he's enough. He's enough. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. Now, let me remind you, Luke wrote this in about AD 60. She writes about, he writes about this widow who was really, really old 60 years ago. Man, that's profound, isn't it? That uh, acts of faithfulness done a generation ago can be used of God today and can be the most important thing that Luke could uncover in the story. Don't underestimate your tiny, little, seemingly unexamined acts of faithfulness. They are profound to your future legacy. There's a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then a widow until she was 84. Here, stop. She was born about B.C. 90. She was born 150 years ago. Do you ever write about somebody today who was born 150 years ago? That's what Luke's doing here. Let me tell you about somebody from a long, long time ago. Here's what you need to know about Anna. Her heart was broken. She is characterized at first... By what she lost. She was married for seven years. That's what we know about her. Maybe from the time she was, what, 17, she got married. And then at, say, 24, her husband died. And apparently, she was a widow for the rest of her life. Now, the way this is written, she was either 84 years old right now, or she had been a widow for 84 years old, and she was about 104 years old. Either one works. I'm not sure which is right, so I'll let you be the judge. Suffice it to say, she lived a long time 
alone. Well, what are you going to do when your heart's broken and your dream's over? Look what Anna does. She did not depart from the temple. Here's the response and the witness that I want you to see in Anna. She worshiped. She worshiped before Jesus came to the temple, before he was presented at the temple, before he came. She was worshiping. And here's what she did, fasting and praying. Look when she did it. This is uh, uh, an incredible thing here. Worshiping and fasting and prayer. With fasting and prayer, night and day. You know what that does not say there? I did a study on this, on day and night. And all throughout Scripture, many, many good things happen day and night, day and night, day and night. They meditated on God's Word day and night. This is a, a statement of, of being very um, uh, faithful in your disciplines. But that's not the phrase here, is it? Anna served with fasting and prayer night and day. As I looked at that phrase in the scriptures, it seems like night and day indicates brokenness. It indicates hard. It indicates that her devotion was at night when she was weeping by herself. That her devotion came in a hard place. Fasting and prayer, whenever fasting and prayer is, is stated in scripture, it often is, called, is, is listed as night and day. And here she was, alone at night. But you know what was on her, her mind at night when she went home? The previous hours when she had been at the temple fasting and praying with the people. She was faithful in her brokenness. And my friends, this Christmas has been a big, broken down, ugly experience for you. Here's my encouragement to you. Even if it hurts, faithfully serve the Lord. Stay with it. Night. Dark night. And day. Because Anna isn't only characterized by what she lost 84 years ago. She's characterized by faithful servant when her heart was broken. Now, I think Anna knows Simeon. I am pretty sure they are both old and they are both hanging at the temple a lot. And Simeon, here, this is the I believe in my heart. This isn't in scripture, but I just, I'm telling you, I'm pretty sure that Simeon would see Anna and say, hey, Anna, here's the thing you should know. We're here all the time. I really want you to know something nobody else knows. God came to me and told me that I was going to see his promised one, the Messiah. Now, why didn't Anna get that promise? Wouldn't that have been amazing if God had said, okay, you've had a hard situation. You're, you're serving me all of these years. I'm going to give you a promise. You're going to see the... She doesn't have a promise like that. Even in knowing that Simeon has the promise, she doesn't know for sure she'll live until the, the, the promised one comes. But she's got a friend who's got a promise. And for her that day, this, in this day, that's enough. And look what she did. She was at the... I have a feeling this is how it worked. Hey, Simeon, you see any babies today? Anybody dedicating kids today? Come on. What's going on? Have you seen anyone today? And Simeon has now publicly announced that this is the Messiah. And here, Anna, look what she does. She starts with worship as a way of life. 
And then look at verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him. Anna, I thought um, you would speak of the 84 years of difficulty. I thought you would speak of your loss. I thought you would speak of the brokenness. She opens her mouth. She speaks of Jesus. Now listen, I'm not ripping on or saying that all of us snap our fingers and get there. It is good and right to grieve. We have all been in situations where we are focused on what we don't have, what we thought we'd have by now, what we used to have. It's good and right to grieve, and it's good and right to worship the Lord in the grief. Coming at that very hour, here's what came out of her mouth. She began to give thanks to God and speak of him. To who? To the Jews who were waiting. No, no. To all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel, my friends, we, of, of Jerusalem. We need old people in this church who are finding ways to give thanks to God for how great he is in their lives. And if you are getting a little bit older and you feel like you've lost your voice or lost your influence or lost your position, can I tell you, we need for you to figure out how to be in the temple, as it were, how to stay engaged, how to tell your stories, how to have people over, how to write your journal entries, how to make a video, how to present to your friends thankful heart for who God is and what he's done, even in the midst of a long life. My friends, I want to be an old person like Anna is an old person. She gave thanks to God and she spoke of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jesus, of, of Jerusalem. And so here we have it. We have two specific examples. And I want to end with this. One day, Jesus will come back. All of us have a general promise. Mark it down. There's not another one. He's the one. Jesus is coming back. He is going to return with power, and it is going to be glorious, and we know it for sure. And if you're a believer in him and you see the scriptures, we don't doubt it at all. But you know what? I think there's going to be much like Simeon. Remember what the scriptures say? In that day, your young, your, your, your sons will see visions and your uh, daughters will dream dreams. And I think there might be a couple people who get a specific promise from God. You're going to be alive when Jesus returns. Maybe there will. I don't know. The point is not to point out if somebody has that experience. The point is this, my friends. This Christmas season, as we leave here today, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, have your eyes peeled. There is going to be a split sky and Jesus is coming from it and he's going to make all things right. He's going to reign with perfect power forever and ever and there's going to be no one else to compare him to. 
He will be so far above every other one. And while we wait for him, we are called to be like Simeon and Anna and serve him and tell the nations and let the Gentiles and all of the nations know and our neighbors and the people we work with that there is one who has come and his name is Jesus. And we need to be thankful and tell everyone who's waiting. Guys, there are people who are waiting to hear about this. We have ourselves convinced that all the people in, in Sheboygan who want Jesus have heard about it and everybody else is sick of hearing about it. And can I tell you, that's just not the case. We have the opportunity in this season, 2021, to be thankful to God in the presence of the people around us and let them know we're serious about waiting for the one who's going to come and split the eastern sky and stand with power. Maybe some of us will be here to see it. But it's real. His promises are true. And this is the definition of a happy Christmas. I'm so thankful we don't sing the song, Joy to the Jews, the Lord has come. We sing, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let's stand and be dismissed in prayer. Father, we praise you for amazing reality that you have provided witnesses in the temple in Jerusalem and that when Luke looked back he could say well this is the most important thing that happened in Jerusalem when Jesus was born Simeon spoke and Anna spoke and he was publicly identified and there can be no doubt that it's Jesus who is the servant of the Lord oh what merry hearts we have to know him And we wait, some of us with broken hearts, all of us wait. We want to be faithful as we wait. We can't wait to see Jesus. We can't wait to see that sky split. So many of us have loved ones, and we're going to see him again. And we're going to treasure Jesus with our whole heart. And we'll have no sin, and we'll be with him. And Lord, we want the Gentiles, the the nations to hear, to come along with us, to know him as Lord and Savior and recognize him. And Lord, we celebrate this Christmas that we see that only Jesus is your servant. Dismiss us with your blessing, we pray. Amen.